We're going to continue our series this morning called Matters of the Heart, and I get I get a preview of it because I study and write it out, so it's already dealing with me before it's dealing with you, but uh, I just believe God is speaking to us through these, these messages, I know He's speaking to me, so hopefully you're, uh, you're with me on that. It said in South America that the llama serves as a cultural metaphor for pride. I don't know how much familiarity you have with llamas. Maybe you've heard of llama drama. Well, save the drama for your llama, something like that. I think that's what they, maybe they'll say just like that. But anyway, to keep a herd of llamas corralled, you don't even need a fence. All you need is one rope circling around the herd to keep them enclosed. Just by placing it to hide it beneath the head and the base of the neck, the llamas are secured in this makeshift pen. Rather than stooping beneath the rope, the llamas stand tall but remain captive. It's either that they refuse or are physically incapable of bending their necks, and thus they're seen as a symbol of, of arrogance and pride and of stubbornness. Um, and so we're going to talk this morning about matters of the heart, and um, what we're going to look at this morning is a hard heart, a hard heart. Um, that is a matter of the heart. The Bible talks about quite a bit about having a hard heart. All through the Old Testament and New Testament, this concept that our hearts can become hardened. Um, is is written in the Bible all throughout, and so we won't have time to look at every scripture and all of that. But I do encourage you to study that if you want to to do a Bible study on that this week, or even when you're getting together next Sunday morning for for huddle, talk about different scriptures that, that deal with that. It'd be something that is a good study. Um, the Bible says Matthew thirteen fifteen. Jesus says, "For this people's heart has become calloused; they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears." And understand with their hearts, and I would heal them. I would heal them. Problem with people in Jesus' time, he says, is their hearts are callous. They're, they're hard. And if they could hear, if they could see, if all these things, if their hearts weren't so hard, he would heal them. Because Jesus wants to heal all of us. Amen. He's ready to heal all of us, but sometimes the problem is not with Jesus, it's with us. And, and what happens is, and we're going to look at this today, our, our hearts become um, unresponsive to what God intends to do. And when we're in a situation where our hearts become hard, we're really in a very bad spot as it relates to our lives and our relationship with God. Proverbs 28, 14 says, Blessed is the one who always trembles before God. Um, the word there is to who fears the Lord. That's one translation. Um, but fear is not necessarily being afraid of God. We know that if you study the, the concept of the fear of the Lord in the Old Testament. But it's having a reverent awe and understanding who God really is. This is God. This is not a genie in a lamp. This is not somebody I just, you know, call to if I need a couple things. But this is the creator of the universe. So I see this this perspective of who God really is. And I, I, I realize where I'm at and where he is. But it says this, whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. Whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. Maybe you've experienced that in the course of your life. Where you had a season of your life where your heart was pretty hard to either things of God or to maybe good advice. Maybe your parents were telling you a certain thing and your just heart was not receptive to any of that. And, and what happens usually at the end of all that is some trouble. At some point that leads to trouble. That's what the book of Proverbs would tell us. There's a, there's a parable that you might be familiar with in the New Testament called the parable of the sower. We've looked at this several times. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But you remember in this parable, Jesus deals with this idea that there's different types of receptivity to the message of the gospel or to the word of God. There's hard ground. Remember the path. The, the hard ground is where the seed is cast. And the seed lands on the hard ground, and it immediately just 
gets taken away by the birds. It doesn't have any root, any ability, because that ground is so hard that there, uh, there is no ability for that seed to take root. And then there's also two medium type of soils, if you will. The rocky soil, it's not completely hard, but it is not soft enough for roots. So we see some variation here. It's not either that your heart is either soft and tender to God or it's completely hard, but there's some middle ground as well, right? And so this is something where the Word of God can take root, but it just can't grow completely. Um, and there's, there's, there's too many other things in there. And then there's the thorny soil where it does get choked out and crowded out, where the soil is fine, but there's so much else growing in the soil that it sucks the life and the nutrients out of what needs to be there. And that's, uh, that's also a situation. And then there's the good soil. And even in a good soil, it says it produces different types of amounts, different yields of the crop. There's 30, 60, 100-fold crop in a good heart or a good soil. And so the question here is, Jesus is asking about what is, what is the condition of your heart when you hear the word? That's, I think, the question for us today um, as we look at this message. How receptive are you? And I put this in your notes. How receptive are you, whether today or this season of life, to what the Spirit of God wants to do in your life? Through your obedience how receptive are you this is the question we want to wrestle with as it relates to um, matters of the heart how receptive are you to what the Spirit of God wants to do in your life in this season of life you might think well you know I remember back when I was this and I was man, I was ready to do this I'm ready to be a missionary I would go anywhere and do anything but there's times and seasons where our heart becomes a little bit more dull a little bit more hardened and, and maybe we're not quite as receptive Maybe we've got things kind of how we want them, and, and that's fine with us. But God says, no, I, I need a heart that's tender. Because if, if you want me to work in you, you need to be tender to me. So how do we, how do we keep our hearts from becoming hard? You know, the heart, the heart is kind of a, you know, as it's an actual organ in our body, it's a good metaphor for our spiritual condition. And that's why the Bible uses that. You know, when the blood flows into our hearts, um, it, it helps our entire bodies. If you've ever seen somebody that has heart disease or had uh, you know, problems with their arteries and so, so forth, um, everything else can get messed up. When you have a heart attack, everything shuts down, not just your heart. Um, so we need our hearts. It, it's the life of our whole bodies. And so how do, we, how do our hearts become hard? How does this happen? I want to look at some things this morning. And uh, these are just a few ways I, I, I find that that our hearts can become hard. So um, if you're taking notes, you can follow along with me. Uh, number one is just through pain and disappointment. Through pain and disappointment. Um, because we're hurt sometimes, we try to protect ourselves. You ever felt, felt that way when you're in a situation? It's just natural human reaction. Somebody hurts you, you put up a defense. Um, our bodies do this. If you've ever twisted an ankle, what happens immediately? When you twist your ankle, what, does it, what happens? It swells up. The body's defense is to protect and shield this area that just got hurt. Um, that, that's just how our, we are naturally. When we are hurt or disappointed or things happen in, internally, our, we put up a shield around our hearts and we say, you know what, I don't want that to happen again. I don't like being hurt. I don't like the pain. I don't like how that went down. So I'm now going to protect myself from that. But when we do that, what we do is we, we harden our heart. Maybe our heart is still tender, but we put up a barrier around it that nothing can get to it. And so we put ourselves in a precarious situation. I, I look at the example of this as Job because, you know, it's, it's just kind of expected sometime. Uh, I have this down here. In a way, it's just expected that when we turn on God, when it seems like he's turned on us. 
that's just how the world, you know, if God didn't come through for you, why do you still go to church? You know, if that happened to you, why are you still serving the Lord? Why? That's kind of the, the normal logic of the world we live in. You know, Job, when he was going through all of the trials he went through, at the end of everything, we lost his children, lost his income, lost all the things that were far worse than anything that we've experienced. His wife's advice was, why don't you just curse God and die? It says this uh, in Job 2, 9 and 10. His wife said to him, are you still trying to be godly when God has done all this to you? Hey, you've been hurt. God didn't come through for you. Why are you still trying to be godly? Just curse him and die. But he replied, you talk like some heathen woman. What, shall we only receive pleasant, pleasant things from the hand of God and never anything unpleasant? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. See, Job was different than most people because, and if he wasn't, we wouldn't have a book called Job because it'd be no business really reading about that other man. Man, that guy really had a tough time, and then he cursed God and he died. You know, that would be a pretty quick book. But what made him different is that in his pain and in his hurt, he didn't shield his heart. He didn't say, you know what, forget God, forget everything else, forget the world. I'm just going to sit here. And he was still hurt. He was still struggling. And he goes through chapter after chapter of him wrestling with all of what happened to him. How do I process this? How do I deal with it? But the thing you wouldn't do is put up a wall to God and say, you know what, I don't want anything more to do with you. I, my heart is not. So his heart stayed tender. And so in our pain, in our hurt, in our disappointment, in our tragedy, in our loss, in our hardship, what should we do? Well, the most important thing we need to do is to bring all of that hurt back to God. And we may not understand, well, God, why did you just prevent this? You could, you could have done, and you know, that's the thing we wrestle with. God, you're able to do anything. Why didn't you just stop this bad thing from happening? Why didn't you just keep me from this? Why didn't, you know, we, we wrestle with all the whys, and sometimes we never get the answer to why. But regardless of that, we have to bring it back. God, I'm hurt, and I need you, because you're really the only one that can handle this burden. We've got to bring our hurt to God. And we need a safe place to open up and be honest about our story. Rather than swell up and protect ourselves and say, you know what, I'm going to keep people out. You know, people have hurt me in the past. God seems like he's let me down. And we put this barrier around our lives. What we need to do is actually open up and be vulnerable. Even while we're bleeding on our heart and it's hurting, we open up, we find healing. We find healing in the midst of that. So we need a safe place to do that. And that's really what the body of Christ should be about. Amen. Now, it doesn't mean everybody in the church you can go talk and share your deepest things with. Because that's just not how it works. But there should be, over time, as you're part of the family of God, there's somebody there. Yes. There's somebody there that cares about you. There's somebody here in this church that's going to be, hey, you know, man, you're going through that. I'll pray with you. I'll, I'll walk with you. That's why we're here for one another. Amen. So maybe... I don't know if we all can do that for everyone, but there's somebody here. If you're going through something, I promise you, somebody here that can, that can lift up your burden with you and then they would be there for you. And so that's what we want, need to be for one another through our pain and disappointment. Otherwise, our hearts will become hard. And we'll say, you know, church, man, those people don't care about me. God didn't care about me. And we go on the rest of our life in bitterness and pain, shielding our hearts from what God really wants to do. Number two, how do we, our hearts become hard? Through empty religious activity. Through empty religious activity. You know, I play guitar. You guys notice that? I do sometimes. Um, what happens when you play guitar is you build a callus on your fingers because you smash the strings down, which are made of metal. And skin is softer than metal. So what happens over time is that the skin's like, hey, stop smashing me against this metal string. This is kind of not fun. So it builds up this callus, 
and now I have hard skin on my fingertips. And if I don't play guitar for a while, if I stop, that'll, that'll go away eventually. But while I'm playing, it, it's protecting my fingers, which is great. But the problem is we don't want calluses in our heart. Calluses on our finger, that can be useful. When you write in school back in the day when you had a pencil, you had the callus on your finger, you remember that? And then you stop writing with the pencil, you're just typing now, so we lose our calluses. But, um, you know, empty religious activity is a way to build a callus. I didn't say religious activity, but empty religious activity. This is when we do spiritual things, but we've forgotten why we're doing them. We need religious activity. I'm not, I'm not saying we got to be religious, so it gets a, it's kind of a buzzword. But prayer, we need to pray. Yeah. But prayer can be an empty thing. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, yay God. You know, you pray before the meal, and uh, that's, that's your prayer. Yeah, I got it. It's funny, if you guys do have a prayer, a meal prayer, how it's so rote it can become, and like the same prayer. You ever do that if you sat with your family? You're going to think, you're like, I had one when I was in my home growing up and then we have like one that somebody some of them do freestyle stuff it's pretty good you guys are okay but you know sometimes we can just get in that empty religion god thank you for my food blah 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 and like we don't even know what we're saying we don't even know why we're saying it you know we I, i'm not saying all of us do that but it's it's just one of those examples that you know we can get into religious things or forget even why we're doing it some people it's it's church attendance they come and 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 you know they just do that because that's what you do when you live in South Carolina, maybe that's how you grew up, or whatever it may be. But it, it's become empty because the why is gone. Why am I here? I don't even know. I guess because it's Sunday. That's why I'm here. Um, it, it can be all sorts of different things. Um, you know, when when we have worship, you know, in, in Pentecostal church, you know, worship can be that. Where, okay, so we're supposed to get down and, and get get a little more excited at Pentecostal church. So, you know, when we play this one song and it gets a little louder, I'm supposed to raise my hands. You know, and then. After it goes back to the verse, I put my hands back down. You know, I, I don't know. Or you go to youth camp. I remember if you've been to youth camp. You go to youth camp, you get real excited. Everybody's jamming, jumping for Jesus. Yeah, that's what you do at youth camp. And then when you go home, you go back to whatever you did. It's just activity. But if you not understand, why am I doing this? Why am I here? Where's my heart at? What happens over time? If we do too much of that, it just becomes calluses on our heart. Where it's harder to really get through all that to, God, I need you. I'm here because I need you. I, I need your presence. I'm desperate for you. And, and so we got to be careful about empty religious activity. The disciples are, an, I think, an example of this. Um, if you want to look at, uh, uh, I don't even have, it's in Mark 6, 51 and 52. But the story of the feeding of the 5,000, I think, is a great example because, and you go and study this this week. In this story, this is like a, a Sunday school story. <coughs> little boy, five loaves, two fishes. Remember that? You remember the flannel boards? Back in the day, you have the little fish, and you know they don't do that anymore. They got like digital technology and stuff. But back in the day, you have then the little boy. He gave his lunch, and it's always on the little boy and the miracle, and it's all that great because you're a little boy, and if you have your lunch, Jesus can do something with you. But what in the background of that is the disciples? The disciples were worried about. They were there all day, worried about it. Then they became the servers and the the wait staff and the cleanup crew at the end of it. Now we got to carry all these barrels in here and feed people, and now we got to clean it all up. And then it's 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 in the midst of a miracle, they're just working, doing stuff. And, and here's where it, the Bible says this. I'm not just making this up. I'm not just inferring into the story. It says this after the, so after they did all that, Jesus then sent them across the lake 
probably around like nine o'clock, really, and then through the whole night, they're rowing this boat in a storm, tired as can be, wondering what in the world are we doing? And then Jesus comes walking across the water in this storm, calms the whole thing down, gets in the boat, and it says this in Mark 6:51 after all this. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. And they were totally amazed, for they still did not understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Our hearts were too hard to take it in. Another translation puts it this way. They had not learned what they should have learned from the loaves because their hearts were hard. I'm wondering if all the busyness of the setup and the teardown, <laughs> you know, the, hey, we got to pass it out, pick it back up, all the different things they had to do in the midst of a miracle, they didn't even get it. Like, we, were just, we just witnessed 5,000 people plus eating from one lunch, but they didn't get it. They were just too busy. We're like, man, we got them. It's another basket we're going to fill back up. Probably got caught in all the work that they had to do that they didn't get the miracle. They didn't get it. That's, that's amazing. We could be in church sometimes and not get the Spirit of God moving in our midst. We can be all around religious activity. We can be in the middle of a miracle and still not feel the presence of God because our hearts are hard. That's what it says here. They still didn't get it because their hearts were hard. We gotta be careful about calluses building on our hearts because of empty religious activity. So when we come to church, maybe just say a prayer, Lord, I thank you that I'm here today. You know, it's not just I have to go. Oh, I gotta come to church. I have those days. I remember not, not just here. I mean, every it's my job for my for 17 years. I've been officially having to go to church. You know, so there's days where it's like, man, I would like to stay home. You know, um, but I have to remember God you placed me here and there's a reason why I'm here and Lord you have something for us today we're not just like going to skip this week and go on to the next but God every time we gather in your name uh, we want you to move in our hearts and, and to, to deal with us number three how do our hearts become hard number three through our own pride stubbornness and disobedience we can harden our hearts through our own pride stubbornness and disobedience the first one was because of things that happened to us the pain the hurt things that we can't control and the second was just getting into you know, the busyness of religious activity and kind of losing why we're doing it this one is really about our own choice when we get into a situation where we feel with pride we have some stubbornness in us and, and our own just you know I don't want to do what God is telling me to do I just don't want to do it and the Bible calls that sin. When God says, this is what I want you to do, and we say, no, I don't want to do that. What happens as a result of that, uh, of that is that our hearts become hardened. Now, it doesn't mean immediately that they're a total stone, but we start moving in that direction of a heart being less and less sensitive to the Spirit of God. When we say, God, I don't want to do what you are telling me to do. I have no desire to do that. We start stepping in the direction of hardening our hearts. An example of this, I, I believe, is Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament. In Daniel, it talks about Dan, uh, Nebuch King Nebuchadnezzar having, and we don't know if he had a real deep relationship with a living God, but for some reason, God judged him for his pride. As he was looking across Babylon and all the things, his great, amazing city, God had even allowed Nebuchadnezzar to rule over his own people, God's people, the Israelites. As a judgment over the Israelites, Nebuchadnezzar came and captured them and led them over to Babylon. 
And so in all this, Nebuchadnezzar's probably feeling like I'm a pretty significant person. I've got the people who had, you know, saying Yahweh, the living God, all that. I got them in, in there. I just captured them. And I have everything going on. And his heart was filled with so much pride that God judged him and made him uh, turn into almost like a wild animal. And, and in recalling this, Daniel says this, but when his heart became arrogant he was, and hardened with pride, he was disposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. And it says, until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets on over them anyone he wishes. So Nebuchadnezzar failed to recognize that because I'm not some special guy, but God has put me here in this position and he's enabled me. When we, when we lose sight of that, that no, no, it's all about me. Look how great I am. I did all this. That's what his heart became. He was judged for that. If we, if we lose sight of the, the blessings, the gifts, the things I have, these come from the Lord. Uh, when we do that, we have to be careful because that will harden our hearts. And God might just judge us. I don't know if he'll make us into a wild animal because uh, that's pretty weird. right? I don't think that happens a whole lot. But uh, he, will, he will judge us for that. We have to remember we give the glory to God, not to ourselves. You know, Another example of this is, is the first generation Israel. The, the, the generation led out of, of Egypt in the Exodus. Um, this is more or less the disobedience part. You know, they, they, they basically said, God, when we, when we got to the edge of the promised land, we don't want to go. We don't, we don't believe we can do it. You want us to go take this land? We don't think we can. We don't want to do it. We don't believe we're not going to do it. And so they disobeyed what God was asking them to do. And because of that, they became hard. They had stubbornness all, the, all along in the journey where every single little thing, they complained, this, that, the other thing. God, we don't want to get along with what you're doing here. This is too hard. And so this is a refrain that the New Testament speaks over and over as it reflects back on those that group of people. You can find this in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, three different times. In Hebrews 3.15, 3am, well, in, in 4.7 as well. It says, as has been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Over and over. Today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. If you hear his voice, obey. Don't say, no, God, that's not me. I don't want to do that. If you hear him speaking to you, you have an opportunity to keep your heart soft and tender by saying, God, yes, I don't understand it. I'll do it. Or saying, God, no, I, don't, I just don't want to do it. And we say, God, I just don't want to do it. Our hearts become hard. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. You look at the, the Exodus one of the uh, key figures in that is is the Pharaoh, Pharaoh of Egypt. And he's and his officials are also a great example of someone hardening their heart uh, to uh, an amazing degree. Let my people go. Early in the story, this is interesting. I mean, this is the last point, and I'll let you uh, write this down if you're taking notes, because God will finally allow us to get what we want. This is really sc the scary judgment of a hard heart. How do our hearts become hard? How do our hearts stay hard? Is when God allows us to get what we want. When you say no to God enough, no, God, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. There is precedent. There is scripture. There is uh, examples in the Bible where God says, okay, I'll leave you alone. The Pharaoh of Egypt is an example of that. Because early in the story, if you study this, and I encourage you to do it, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. 
when Moses came, let my people go. Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. There's no way. And he said it's hard. He hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. And then as the plagues happen, as God's miracles are there, as obvious evidence that he's in the wrong is there, it starts to say God hardened his heart. Yeah. What started with him hardening his heart turned into God hardening his heart. And, and I think the way God would harden our heart is not by, and maybe this is different because, you know, this is part of the salvation history of Israel. I don't want to get too deep in theology, but I know that the Bible talks about God allows us at some point to get what we want. Let me, get, let me show you. I'll just make this up. Romans 1, 24, 26, and 28. The book of Romans 1, 24, 26, and 28. It says this phrase three times. It talks about the wrath of God against humanity, the, the judgment of God against humanity. I don't know if you've ever read this. This is the opening chapter of Romans. And the book of Romans is about how God is going to save us. He wants to, uh, to save all of us, but the problem is we're all... We're all doomed, right? but we need salvation. So it's, a, it's, a, it's really a picture of what God wants to do with humanity through saving us. But it starts out with some bad news. And it talks about the wrath of God. And it says, um, in verse 24, it says this. Therefore God gave them over in the simple desires of their hearts to sexual impurity uh, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Um, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. And because of this, God, again, it says God gave them over to shameful lusts. And then it goes on to say in verse 26, Further, since they not think worthwhile to re retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind. So it seems to be, and, and people pull, this is a, a clear example where God will give us what we want. Um, you guys have heard of C.S. Lewis, right? Let me, let me show you what he says. There's a great quote in the book, The Great Divorce. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. Two kinds of people. We either get to say to God, your will be done in our lives, and our hearts are soft and tender and God can use us. Or, at the end of our lives, God says, your will be done. If that's what you want, I'll let you have it. This is when God has created a world with, where we have free decisions. We have free will. We can make a choice with our lives. He doesn't strong arm us into heaven. He opens the door and opportunity extends it to us time after time again. But if we say, you know what, God, I don't want that. I want what I want. Then that's what he'll give us. It goes on to, he goes on to say this. All that are in hell, choose it. Well, God sends, you know, I don't believe in a God that sends people to hell. C.S. Lewis would say, you know, everybody who's in hell chose to be there. That's where they want to be. That's where they wanted to be. They didn't want God. That's an interesting thought. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it is open. This is an interesting idea. I got a couple more here. This is what it says. It's not the question of God sending us to hell. In the end, each of us, there's something that's growing up, which of itself will be hell, unless it's nipped in the bud. We're talking about matters of the heart. It's not about God, oh, he's trying to send everybody to hell, I don't, can't believe. But there's something in us, because we are fallen people. We have sin in us, that if we don't deal with that, it will be hell. Our lives will be messed up. We will be in a place where we are disconnected from the one who made us. That's why we need Jesus. 
That's why other people need Jesus. That's why Lexington needs Jesus. Because there's something growing in each one of us that only Jesus is the answer. One more. He says this in his book, The Problem of Pain. In the long run, the answer to all those who object to the doctrine of hell is itself a question. What are you asking God to do? To wipe out the past, their past sins and at all costs give them a fresh start? smoothing every difficulty and offering every miraculous help. But he has done so on Calvary. God's already done this. He's already made a way for all of us to be with him, to, to experience his heaven. He's already done this. He says, to forgive them, is that, is, is that what they, they will not be forgiven. To leave them alone, alas, I'm afraid that's what he does. So this is, this is where I'm getting to in this last point, in our hearts being hard there's some point in time, and I don't know where it is. It's not some uh, specific theology where I could say, well, yep, God left that person alone. But there, there is a point where God will say, you know what, if that's truly what you want to do, I'll let you do it. And that's, that's the scariest of all judgments that there is. It's not that God's going to get you into a car accident or that, you know, God's trying to come and mess up your life. No, God wants to save us. He wants to heal us. The problem is sometimes we harden our hearts so much. And I would, I would hope and pray that's not us here, but we may know people that, they, that their hearts are, are hard to God. And, and, and maybe they used to be soft and tender. They used to be all about it, but something happened or something along the way. And, and now that they're in a place where they don't want what God has for them. So how do, how do our hearts become sensitive to God again? This is the question that we need to answer um, I believe it, it comes with, number one, dealing with our pain and hurt. The things that we're holding on to, the things that we want to protect and shield, we got to let that stuff out and let it to God and let it to others. Second, we need to pause and recalibrate our religious activity. Rethink what we're doing. Not stop it necessarily, but rethink how we're doing it. Maybe our prayer life needs an adjustment. We'll need to stop praying, but maybe pray differently. Pray in a different way, a different time, a different place. Something that changes it up so it's significant. I know that with my devotion time, time, there's times where it becomes really dry. You know, where I'm reading and, you know, it's just kind of, we go through the motions of it and it's not really life-giving. Well, you know what? You don't have to do your devotions any certain way. There's not one way to do it. It's, it's just, devotion means I'm devoting time to God. So there's not one way you have to read your Bible and pray. We just need to devote time to God. The God I'm giving you this time. This 15 minutes is yours. This 30 minutes is yours. And it, you could walk in the in the woods in somewhere and just say, you know what, I'm going to switch it up. Because I want I want this to be life-giving. I want to connect with you. I don't want my heart to be hard just go through meaningless activity and come to like not even like reading my Bible because I'm just not getting anything. So we gotta we gotta mix it up in ways that that won't be meaningful. We gotta recalibrate our religious activity. Worship, church, scripture, all these sort of things. And finally, it all starts with a simple desire for God to be God. We want God to be God in our lives, Him to be in charge. When we say Jesus is Lord, it's not just a little church saying. Right? right? Jesus is Lord. Amen, brother. Jesus is Lord. That, that means He's the boss. That's what, that's what you're saying. Jesus is the boss. And, and it's not just the boss like, you know, the office, like Steve Carell tries to be your buddy and you know he's kind of a weird person but he's the boss and that he he gets to say what happens but jesus is lord in my life that means what do you want me to do today god 
It's up to you. Lead me. And, you know, if I don't get some clear thing, I'm going to do what I was doing yesterday, and I'll keep trying to serve you best I can. But if you have something different for me, I want to be open to that. I want my heart to be soft to that. You want to lead me in a different way today? Okay. And that's how we follow him. It doesn't mean that you know, every moment we're stressing over, are we hearing God? I don't know. You know. No, we live our lives. We, we follow him and try to be the people that God, he wants us to be. But at the same time, we want to be sensitive to his voice and what, his guidance and what we're doing. Jesus, you are Lord. Be in charge. I'll wrap it up with this, and, and Lynn, if you'll come. This week, um, we did a little rearranging of the furniture in our house. Um, Dane wanted to, well, it started with the kids wanting to switch rooms, and they had this big plan. Lily drew up a, uh, a whole chart. Oh, you helped. It was a whole chart and a, a diagram. I like this because you want to be an architect, so that was pretty good. But they had the whole room arranged where Dane is, how it would look if they were in there. So they had all their stuff. I'm going to put my thing here in this. So then they were trying to convince Dane to move out of his room and all these sort of things. And you know what happens when you have a lot of stuff? Who wants to move it all around? So I, I came in with the logic of, um, don't you like your room, Dane? Isn't that a great place? And so I maybe kind of shut that down a little bit. Um, but in the midst of all of that, so they, they kept their rooms. Nothing changed. But... In the midst of that, it did come out that Dane wanted a couch in his room. And we have a couch in downstairs that was really not being used. Oh. And so we're like, oh, you know what? We'll, we'll get it to your room. Now, you ever move the couch? You may move the couch. There's some couches that have beds inside. Those are not fun to move. No, they're not. They're very heavy, and we had to go up the stairs with it. So we were pulling and pushing, and Cassie wasn't feeling well. We were getting the kids under. It was one of those great moments, family moments, working as a team <laughs> to get this heavy couch up the stairs. At night, at night. Yeah, it's some random hour at night. You know, we're moving. It's a great idea. We're going to move the couch up to Dane's room. But once we finally got it all set up, we looked at it like, you know what? This is better. Our room that the couch was in is better. This is better. Dane's room, this is better. This is a better setup. I'm glad we did this. And so I say all that because we got to be willing to let God rearrange the furniture in our life from time to time. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. It may be actually more challenging. And it's so easy to just keep everything the same way. You know, it's easier to leave the couch where it is and leave this. Who wants to mess with all that, right? So it's a pain. Dragging it up the stairs. It, it can be difficult for God to start rearranging the furniture in our life. You know, I, I kind of like where my chair is. I like this stuff. You know, I, I'm comfortable with that. But you know what happens? I think... When we let God do that, it actually goes better. Yeah. Like the next step, when he gets it all, starts moving, like maybe at first, like, no, 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 I don't like that. But when he gets it, how it, like, you know what, God, I actually like this better. Because, you know, your way is better than my way. Amen. Amen? Your way is probably higher. Your, your thoughts are higher than mine. Your ways are greater than mine. And, and, and if we stop being willing to let God rearrange the furniture, like, we actually... I think we sacrifice something super important in our walk with God. I think we become just kind of religious American people that, or Venezuelan people, that just kind of go through the motions and, and we're trying to, oh, I'm a good person, we do our little thing, go to church. But we lose that significance and that purpose and that that constant thing. You know, God is, God's got something down the road. It's not all in the past where he used to do this, and man, back when I was that, I was really great. But 
you know what, God, you can rearrange the furniture in my life, and I could be 65 years old, and you know what, you got something fresh for me in this season. You're not done with it. And I don't know what it looks like, and it might be a little scary, and it might be different, and it, it may be uncomfortable, but you know what, I want you to do it, God, because I know you know best. And I don't want to get locked into something that, that's just what I want. God, I want what you want. So let's, let's sing this as we wrap it up. If you want to stand to your feet? We're singing, Here's My Heart, Lord. And I, want, I would like for us to say that as a prayer. That God will make our hearts soft and tender. If there's areas of where we've developed some palaces or maybe we're shielding it from pain or hurt. Maybe in the, as we sing this, we say, God, here's my heart. Be Lord of my heart. Be Lord of my life. Make me soft and tender to you. That's what I want, Lord. Thank you.